Good morning, travelers, pre-med students, and undergraduates. Welcome to Doctors In. This podcast features top-performing proactive physicians with whom we try to dissect what makes them the best in their respective specialties. I am your host, MD Hawk, and I am currently in the medical field. In this podcast, we try to ask the right questions to deconstruct study strategies, useful habits, constructive failures, and life lessons. Join us as we navigate through the different specialties in medicine. Three, two, one, and we are live. Today we're joined by physician assistant Tony Atkins in the pediatric neurosurgery at Children's Hospital of Orange County. He also works at the emergency department at St. Joseph's Hospital. He is known as the quote-unquote dancing doc on social media, and his philosophy on treating patients is to individualize each patient and family on the best practice rooted in the recovery model. Due to his widely recognized uplifting nature as a provider, Tony has been featured on many television shows such as Good Morning America and Good Day LA. Tony graduated from the University of Washington School of Medicine's PA program and got his master's in public health, global health, and epidemiology at Loma Linda University. He had a non-traditional path to medicine as he initially served in the army for nine years. In his free time, Tony goes out with his family, wins gladiator awards for obstacle courses, and hikes the Grand Canyon. So a very kind of exercise uh, concentrated If you want to see empowering interactions with neurosurgical pediatric patients, you can follow him on Instagram at T underscore Malone 3. That's T underscore M-A-L-O-N-E 3. Without further ado, let's welcome Tony to the end. Welcome, sir. Thank you so much for taking your time to meet with us. No, thank you for allowing me to be on this show. It's been a long time for us to connect, but, you know, I'm running here and running there, but I'm here today. Uh, It's a busy schedule, and yeah, we had to do some scheduling, rescheduling, but we made it work, and we're here. And I think, as I was actually telling you, I find your story very fascinating because... It is out of the box, and we will touch on the concept of boxes and parameters later on. But first, I do want to start with the movie Patch Adams uh, and use it as a leaping off point. So there is a quote by Robin Williams in that movie, and I quote, You treat a disease, there are times you win and you lose. You treat a person, I guarantee you no matter the outcome, you will win. So while we were doing our research, this quote resonated with me specifically in your case, uh, because I see similarities. There are striking similarities between you and Robin Williams in Patch Adams and the happiness that he brought to his patients. So I guess, can you elaborate on the impact it had on you growing up for the folks listening? Yeah, so it's for me, you know, I love what I do taking care of kids and their families. I hate to see them, but when I do see them, I treat them like family. Um, and so I do a non-traditional form of taking care of my patients as far as music and dance. And this is allows myself and uh, the patients and families that I take care of, it kind of open up and then we, we become, you know, family and we become friends forever is because of the way that I do the way I do my medicine. Um, as well as when I was a little kid, I, you know, I use music. Um, as a form to escape from uh, the ghettos of, you know, South Central Los Angeles, where it's a Mm -hmm. lot of things that are going on all the time. And so the music and dance kind of took me out of that situation of, you know, police helicopters, gun violence, you know. And so I use it uh, for my kids to kind of take them out of their situation. 
because um, a lot of them get, you know, depressed and, and the parents, you know, they get depressed because they see they, they can't really help their children. You know, you know, you as a parent, you always want to step in and, you know, they have a scratch, you put a Band-Aid on it, then you send them on their way. But once they have a brain tumor or something wrong with their nervous system, there's not much you can do. You have to rely on others to take care of them. And so that's where myself and my team comes into play. And we do everything imaginable to make them feel comfortable and make them feel loved and wanted. Yeah, I mean, that is a very nice approach. And I really like this uh, because, for instance, you said in one of your posts, and I quote, uh, patients don't want to do the simple things that you ask them, such as moving their legs, moving their arms, squeezing the finger, right? But when you ask them to dance, when you ask them to do this another uh, type of, I guess, interaction that they weren't used to, right? It does take them out of the reality and just like, okay, we're going to have fun. But it also helps you see their coordination, strength, and their range of motion. Even kind of, you said how their brain is receiving and sending signals. So this indirect way of communication and persuasion requires a lot of -of out-of-the-box thinking. How often would you say does this indirect persuasion work with your patients? It works all the time. You know, it's, it's, it's always tough to get a child or an adult for that matter to go along with the things that you want them to do. But once they trust you, um, then they are more uh, susceptible to kind of do the things that you ask them to do. And so being able to, you know, relate to kids or adults on a different level, um, you're able to open up doors to modes of, you know, helping each other to get to the final goal of being better. Yeah, and it helps with your uh, assessment of the patient as well, which is very important. Exactly. So do you feel that PEDS neurosurgery was kind of the missing puzzle piece, uh, I guess, for you in terms of specialty? Because it does seem that it combines two of your many characteristics, which is obviously that with pediatrics, you know, you can be funny and make jokes with the kids. But then there's also neurosurgery, which is incredibly intense, right? And has a lot on the line, to say the least, especially considering the fact that PEDS neurosurgery is known to be a specialty with not a lot of rosy outcomes, I'd say. Uh, So you do need someone who is uplifting, right? Uh, In this case. Of course, of course. You know, being in pediatric neurosurgery, it is a lot of dark days. Um, But then when you get those glimpses of light where things are starting to go back to normal, um, those are wins. And and sometimes there's a new normal because uh, not all the kids go back to where they were before they came to see us because they have a brain tumor and now they have some neurological deficits. Uh, and so, you know, being in this field, you know, it's fun, rewarding, and it is an emotional roller coaster. And so you, you as a provider has to have to find a, a outlet. And so my outlet is seeing kids smile and, you know, and having a good time, loving music and dance. And those are, those are my outlets. And so um, every provider has to find a way to pull back and take a breather uh, because sometimes we, uh, we give so much that um, we don't get to fill our cup back up uh, because we're emptying our cup every day, but not filling it up every day. And so those are the ones that, 
they burn out and they retire early. So, you know, me doing the things that I do, I am abundantly, um, and my cup is overflowing because I have so much to give. Yeah. And it, does seem very nice to have, I guess, that sense of bringing that sense of color back into medicine, back into the hospital, where things are obviously going gray on certain days, and it does not look uh, beautiful from the outsider perspective, but you do have to be the person, the provider that only because you're not just making it better for the patients, but also the providers as well because i see the videos online it's like the other providers are joining you they're having fun they're calling you right to do a dance with them things like that so i i get a lot of calls from different departments saying hey can you come down uh we have a child that really loves a dance uh can you and she's and she's having you know not so good time can you come over and brighten her day and sure enough i go there and i do my do and i we have a good time that's nice that is very nice so uh, I do want to shift gears a little bit, uh, and I will start off with the date, which is October 2015, to guide the following few questions. Um, okay. You loved your, you know, the brain during your PA rotations at Washington Medicine. So why did you go to uh, orthopedic spine surgery? Yeah, so uh, when I first got out of school, um, I couldn't find a neurosurgeon. From there, I I found orthopedic spines. Orthopedic spine deals with the nervous system, and so it, it's you know close to it. So I decided to go into orthopedic uh, spine, and then eventually I was working in orthopedic spine. And then I, uh, one of the uh, PAs uh, was uh, leaving and going off to a different practice. And he was like, do you want um, my position? And I said, yeah, I'll take it. And so that's how I got into to neurosurgery. And it was like the best thing ever. What's also interesting is that orthopedics, neurosurgery, emergency medicine, radiology, I feel like these specialties especially are very PA friendly, to kind of say the least. I guess my follow-up question to that would be, what was off-putting about orthopedics? And then I guess, what did you find that was much better suited and that really captivated you in terms of pediatric neurosurgery? Yeah, so um, versus adult uh, medicine, that's one. And then neurosurgery versus orthopedics, fine, another. So pediatrics, um, kids are very resilient. And they bounce back like right away. Um, they don't really need a lot uh, to, you know, get going. In adult medicine is a little bit different. Adults, uh, there's a, a lot more um, at risk as far as different comorbidities uh, when you're doing different things. So you give one medication for something and then you have to give a different medication because they have something else that's now happening. Um, and um, reason for neurosurgery is because I love uh, the brain and the nervous system and dealing with kids in this realm, you know, making sure they, you know, they're staying themselves, uh, staying the same personality um, and, and basically protecting their personality in neurosurgery is, is key. Um, and and that's the reason why I chose that profession is because I love the nervous system and I love taking care of kids and making sure they are well protected. 
of course, that there's a difference between peds and uh, adult medicine. In terms of adult medicine, so I guess there's a lot of lot more pain management, right? That is involved. It's a ton of pain management, and for kids, it's you know they they're happy with giving them a toy, <laughs> some ice cream. And Tylenol every now and then. <laughs> and that's it. Right. It's more of an emotional state of being where you can really go in and uh, induce a state of change. Exactly. And they've made different studies based off of hormone levels when you do different things. And kids, they're having a good time because they're always laughing. Adults, we don't really laugh as much unless we go to a comedy store or we're watching some comedy TV. Um, and the differences of uh, releasing these things called endorphins is, is so much higher in kids than in adults. And endorphins, they bind on the same receptors as the heavy mm. narcotics. And so if you can get people to laugh um, or, you know, pet a dog, pet a cat, then they release a, a lot of endorphins and they're not in a lot of pain. Um, and so that's the reason why we have a lot of things that go on in children's hospitals that kind of take their minds off of their situation versus in adult medicine, there's not a lot of things that have different options to kind of take their minds away. So they kind of dwell on those pain uh, because they're not really, there's nothing much that you can take their minds off of it. That is a very good answer. One thing that we also, we also have to highlight is that you went from one surgical special to another surgical special. So there is some love that uh, we can say at the very least. Uh, speaking of surgical specialties, there are obviously procedures. PAs do have a first assist role with things like retraction, suction, and the close at the end of surgery. So how involved are you with specifically neurosurgical procedures? In neurosurgery procedures, you and the surgeon are working hand in hand. Uh, you do have your area of the case that you have to take care of. And it, it is various areas or various different surgeries. So if it's a brain tumor, you are helping with the approach to get to that brain tumor, as well as taking the brain tumor out. And if you're putting in a device, you may be in charge of uh, opening up one particular area and getting that area prepped to put the device in. You put the device in um, while the surgeon is doing the, a different side to connect that device to something else. Um, so you, you have more, I wouldn't say autonomy, but you have more of a, a role in, as a first assist versus being in like a orthopedic uh, profession such as spine where you're just like doing mostly retraction and suctioning and things like that yeah and i'm glad that you mentioned autonomy because one thing i would say about pas uh especially in a hospital setting is that autonomy is somewhat limited uh but there are ways to bypass that right uh depending on the hospital and state regulations and i guess as well as developing trust with supervising physicians no Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, in, in the, the supervising positions, they give you so much leeway to do different things, um, a lot of things without having the provider say, OK, I need to go check your work. Um, in neurosurgery, it's, it's similar at a certain point where you have a patient that comes in the middle of the night, you are on call, you get the call, you say, OK, I want you to do this, this and this. And then you can just text your provider and say, you know, somebody came in. And they had all this stuff going on. I told them I'm going to do this and then we'll check them in the morning. And they're like, okay. 
Um, so it all depends on your level of trust that the providers have with you. Um, and then, you know, we have other PAs, such as some of my uh, other colleagues that have their own um, practice in urgent care or family practice. And But it's the only thing is that they have to have a um, licensed medical uh, doctor to uh, sign uh, 10% of their charts each month. So they have their own autonomy. All they just have is a doc that needs to come in in the month and look through their charts, make sure they're uh, doing everything correctly, sign off, and then that's it. And that's for the state of California. So every state is a little different. Yeah. And there is a level of beauty uh, that is involved with obviously uh, private practice as well as you just touched upon. So there are people in the audience who are undergraduates uh, right now trying to decide between PA route and or the MDDO route to medicine. So what would be a distinction, would you say, that you can think of to help sway their decisions to either side? So for those who are a little unsure of the exact route of PAs and the medical team, can you please expand, like, I guess, explain more of the responsibilities such as pre-op, post-op? As far as uh, PAs in the medical profession, uh, we can function in pretty much every area of medicine except for ophthalmology and anesthesiology. And so you can you can go everywhere um, and you can change at any time you want to change. Uh, for me, I do I do a lot of different things. Um, so I'm in I'm a PA in neurosurgery Monday through Friday and sometimes on the weekends if I'm on call. I work in the ER at least uh, five to six uh, shifts a month. And then I also uh, still round for a, a different orthopedic spine surgeon on every other weekend. Wow. Uh, so I do I have three different jobs, including, you know, social media. Um, so I'm always pretty busy um, as a medical doctor. You know, you are you are in charge. Um, you are the end all be all to your patients unless you get in trouble. <laughs> uh, but you are the one that gives the last say of what needs to go on uh, for your patients. And the PA is a, basically a team member within the whole medical um, structure. Uh, we uh, work underneath a physician. And so we are able to do everything in the scope of practice of a PA underneath the physician. And so, but in other instances, if you have your own practice, you know, you work on your own and then this physician just signs things off. But if you, say, had an uh, instance where you needed to uh, focus on the doctor, so going into medical school or going to DL school, you are guaranteed you've got to be in school for four years, Okay. And you don't need to have that much experience going in. Um, and then minimum of three years of residency afterwards. So it's a, it's a large commitment. Um, and if you wanted to do something like, you know, neurosurgery or, or any type of surgery, you know, the, it's like five years up to seven years additional after medical school. And then you're out and then you, you're it. So uh, for me, um, I was in the military for nine years. So I'm, I'm used to working under folks and doing a job well with honor and dignity, no matter where I'm at. So being a PA for me is just like when I was in the military, you know, just 
I, I get orders and I execute. Um, and so you have to have that different mindset of, do you want to be the one in charge or do you want to be the one that's sitting next to the person that's in charge, but you can still be in charge? So, and other people, you know, when I, where I grew up at, you know, we only knew dark doctor and nurse. And so everybody, all the thing that we all knew is that, you know, I want to be called doctor. So when I was going through school, I thought that was it. You know, I have to be called doctor, mm. but I didn't know anything about PA. And then I found out about PA and I was like, man, I, I'm like, I'm like medical ADD because I can't stay in one profession for the rest of my life. <laughs> right. So being a PA, I can change from day to day if I wanted to. And I do three jobs in three different areas of medicine, focusing on things that are totally different from each other, except for orthopedic spine is kind of similar to neurosurgery. Peds neurosurgery, there's more things working in the brain than the spine. In adult neurosurgery, there's more things working in the spine than in the brain. Uh, so it's the exact opposite. So in pediatric neurosurgery, I'm working, focusing mostly on the brain. And then orthopedic spine, I'm just all in the spine. So um, it's the difference of where on the medical hierarchy you want to reside. If you want to become a doctor and have the, the huge amount of responsibility the, um, in everything, the buck stops at you, then yes, you go for it, you know, have at it. Or if you want to be called a PA or nurse practitioner, and you want to be underneath somebody and the bug doesn't stop at you all the time. And you want to have that protection because you have an attending that's going to, that protects you. Then you go there. If you want to be locked into one profession for the rest of your life, and you can change if you go back to residency, you can go, go be a DO or MD. But if you want to change at a drop of a hat and go to school for two years and don't have to do a residency, PA is like hands down. You don't have to waste all that time in school to do what you want to do. PAs can make huge impacts because they have that time to take with their patients versus an MD has to meet a certain quota to get that reimbursement. So we, we deal with two different sides of a coin of a DOMD versus PANP. Uh, we have the time to take care of people and treat them like we want them to be treated versus sometimes medical doctors have huge amount of constraints to get through so many people to make sure they break even to pay everybody underneath. That is a very well thought out response. I mean, we you touched upon <laughs> a lot of different factors and some of the ones that we will definitely hit upon your role in the army in a bit. But some of the things that you did mention that really resonate with me uh, in this answer uh, right now is that you talked about Right, like medical ADD. If you have medical ADD where you cannot stick with one specialty because you like so many different ones, PA is probably the route because you can literally change and be as you're doing, doing three different specialties, which is incredible because I feel like you can also borrow tactics, right? Like see how different um, teams employ and how they treat their patients and then bring from one setting to another. So you're in a very interesting role and one of the other things is that you touched upon is that you do have more of that patient care uh, aspect of medicine involved whereas doctors they uh they're really 
since they have a lot of patients under their belt, they are trying to squeeze the time to meet with every single patient, but it doesn't lead to, um, it's more so, it kind of sometimes becomes more so about the, the disease, the, the tests, right? The analysis, things like that. Yeah, right. Some instances, some of the patients, you know, they get, they get the short stick mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that is not, it's not intentional. It's just, you know, that's just their, their mentality, you know, is this, they go to school for so long and know so much information and they do really good jobs. But sometimes it's the connection that they, they lose because their the focus is the numbers. Mm-hmm. So um, I do have a few more questions to touch upon before I let you go, sir. So on that note, um, you have a very fascinating journey that we talked about to medicine. And I say that because you mentioned in a post that it took you uh, six years to complete junior high. Um, so for the audience, what is junior high and how long is the ideal time span for completion? Yeah. So for my my place, you know, where I came you know, I went to junior college or uh, first I started in junior high and then went to high school. And throughout junior high and high school, I was in uh, remedial cor- courses. So there's a four uh, tiers within high school, junior high, which is going to be special ed, remedial, regular, normal classes, um, AP and honors somewhere or honors and then AP. So it's like five. Um, and so I was at the lower, the lower portion of you know, education where I was in remedial courses. So I wasn't really challenged throughout junior high and high school. So when I come to graduation, I didn't know what I was going to do. So that's when I went into military. And then from military, I came back. And then I had to start from the ground up because I didn't have anything. All the things I have was just remedial courses. I can't transfer with anything because my grades weren't that great. So I went to junior college and basically had to start over in high school almost Mm. where I uh, did uh, six years in junior college because I was working at the same time. And then I transferred to a four-year university and did four years pretty much. And I did one year at Texas Tech and then I transferred back and I did three years at University of Riverside. And I graduated with an AA degree in chemistry from junior college, BS in neuroscience and minor in ethnic studies. And then I transferred to, and then I got into Loma Linda public health. And I did that for two years. And then I got into PA school. So I, I, I basically repeated the amount of years kindergarten all the way up to 12th grade all over again, once I graduated from high school. And so it was a long time and I was dedicated and I wasn't going to stop because I know where I came from and I didn't want to go back. I see. Uh, so your true grind started when you joined the army. What skills did you take away from the experience that made you say the unconventional of, hey, I want to go back to school and pursue a degree in a very competitive field like medicine? Uh, so in other words, kind of what helped with the transition from army to medicine? Um, it was, you know, the dedication, you know, never giving up, uh, which I picked up from the military using my experience of determination i knew going backwards was a, an option and so i just kept it going and moved forward yeah and you brought up going backwards and also knowing where you came from and not trying to go back to where you came from uh so 
Can you please elaborate a little bit on that? And I bring that up because you did talk about how growing up in in your region of California, which was very heavy with gangs, uh, shootings, things like that, sirens going off. So was it really you know, hard to envision a future lifestyle that when you're surrounded by something so different? When you grow up in a, a place like that and you see the outcomes of what your friends that you grew up with had and what your that two older brothers and they had they had that lifestyle of being in a neighborhood and so and you you see all that you look at that and you say okay this is not what I want to do and it doesn't become hard you look at other people that are doing it and it's like you know why did they choose to go that route it's because that's where that's the only thing they know you know maybe you know they don't have good parenting maybe uh, it's just because they hung out with those folks and they just wanted to fit in. It, it's, it's a lot of reasons. But for me, I just looked at it and I said, this is not where I'm going to go. And I'm going to go this direction. So everybody wanted to go right. I took left. Are Are there any uh, last advice would you have to someone who's thinking of doing the PA route? You know, the last advice I'll leave you with is that, you know, you always have to go back to what is the reason I want to do the things that I want to do. It's not about just helping people because at the same time, you really, you really got to fulfill yourself because mm-hmm. uh, you can, you can help people just by opening the door. But what are you doing? You know, is it helping you? You want to do the things that you want to do. You want to have a certain lifestyle. You want to wake up and say, okay, I'm comfortable. I can go to the refrigerator and I can get me a soda. <laughs> I can right. have a coffee maker. I can turn on my coffee maker and make me some coffee. Right. Um, so you, you want certain things in life. And, you know, I, we tend to uh, say a lot of things that are going to fluff up a lot of our applications of, you know, I want to be this provider because I just want to help people. That is true. We all want to help people. But at the end of the day, you have to put something in there that's going to be some substance that, you know, I want to help people and I want to be fulfilled by helping others because what it's going to do for me, it's going to make me happy. I'm going to be selfish because I'm helping others, but at the same time, it's helping me, then it helps them. Uh, and and you, that's the, it has to be an equal kind of part you can't just say i'm just helping people and helping people and helping people and helping people no somewhere along that line that is going to be giving you more gratification than it gives them Mm. and so you have to be somewhat kind of selfish on that part of helping others is going to really help me you know i'm so glad that you mentioned that because i don't think a lot of people in the medical field talk about this, this nature of that you are going into medicine, but there is this inner sense of gratitude that you get from treating patients that is kind of selfish in a way, but it is good because it is a positive feedback loop, right? Um, The more that you give, the more that you get back as well. So now before I let you go, I do want to take you through a guided story that we do on the podcast. We like to imagine that you are a traveler who stopped by Doctors Inn to rest for lunch. Now, before you leave, the innkeeper, which is me, I ask you to share a quote or a piece of advice that I can frame on my wall. Uh, So what would that piece of advice be? It can be something that you live your life by. Uh, For example, 
a principle or an ideology? Uh, so there's something that's uh, by the um, an author named Irma Ballback that I, I put on the end of all my emails. And it states, at the end of my life, uh, when I uh, get to God, I will be safe to say that I used everything you gave me. Here, here. Well, Thank you so much for sitting down and talking to us, younglings. I had high expectations uh, going into this podcast in terms of the journey that we would go through. And I would say the expectations, uh, they were definitely surpassed. Uh, all right. Thank <laughs> so you. thank you so much. Thank you so much, my man. It's been a pleasure. And I'm always available if you ever need anything else. Perfect, perfect. All right. A major thank you to all you lovely homo sapiens who stopped by Doctors In. All our show notes can be found on www.doctorsinpodcast.com. You can also search up Doctors In Podcast on Instagram and on YouTube to watch the animated videos for each of our episodes. Also, don't forget to follow our lovely uh, and cheer and enlightening uh, PA Tony Atkins on Instagram. Uh, see you next time, guys. Bye. Bye.